This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good. I'm doing better now that I'm out of the shade. (laughs) Um, I always enjoy... I'm coming here to speak. This is my third time. And I've been getting to know Adam since we moved here about two and a half years ago. And he is um, just an absolute joy to get to know and sit with and talk. Um, When we were going around uh, raising money to uh, plant our church, we we did a lot of fundraising in the Midwest and stuff. It was always interesting to go to another church and to, you know, get out of your comfort zone. uh, uh, Especially our, our denomination is a lot of rural churches. And uh, it was um, always very interesting. If you've ever been, grew up in a, a rural church that was 50 to 100 years old and had been added on a lot of times, something that they did, I don't know if they do it here in New Mexico, I haven't been to a lot of rural churches here, but they used to have outhouses, right, at the, at the churches, so you didn't have bathrooms built into the buildings. So something that was always interesting is if you didn't know, when they added on, they would add the bathrooms behind the pulpit. Um, so in fact, I preached at a church for a long time, that it was um, the bathrooms were on each side of the pulpit. And so you'd be preaching, and someone would hop up, <laughs> come to the front, and you'd be like, oh, I didn't know my sermon was that good. Uh, and then, oh, they're going to the bathroom. Uh, so uh, it's, all, it's all, you never know what you're going to get. But I enjoy preaching here. I, I, it's so relaxing. You guys are so great. And um, it, is, it is just uh, just a joy. Uh, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and... Uh, we'll be continuing your series on uh, the Beatitudes. Um, when, Matt, when Adam asked me to preach on this, um, I definitely said yes, because I had, I had preached on the Beatitudes before, expositionally, and I saw preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in our church at the time, it was just like this, this drawing salve on all the wounds and hurts and problems in the church, and things came out, and uh, people were like, I didn't realize I wasn't following Jesus like that. And it is, uh, it is absolutely beautiful every time I can uh, to preach on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, in verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If you're looking to be built up and become all the better you that you can be, then the Sermon on the Mount is the wrong place. If you are looking at a way to pump up your image and become popular and well-liked, the Sermon on the Mount is the wrong place. If you're looking for a good way to build an empire, to wield power, to become stronger, then the Sermon on the Mount is the wrong place to look for that. But... If you are looking for an explanation of what it means to live like Jesus, you're in the right place. If you're looking for what it means to live under the abuse and misuse of power as a Christian and how we should react to that, then you're in the right place. If you're looking to discover how to live like Jesus in the face of wrong, to suffer injustice and injury without getting revenge, then you're in the right place. The word blessed means happy or fortunate, but it goes even farther than that. 
In fact, it refers to a happiness because of circumstance the person who is blessed finds themselves in, is provided for them. So in other words, God provides here the circumstance that provides the happiness. Namely, as he says, get the kingdom of heaven and, and comfort in inheriting the earth. So another way that we could put this is God blesses or God makes happy those who are meek. Now, as Christians, uh, American Christians especially, we might hear that, and we can maybe misunderstand that, misunderstand the meaning of the text a little bit, because in a microwaved, instant, emailed, texted, immediate world, we might read that and assume that while you are being meek, God is going to make you happy. Right there in that circumstance, I just have to be meek, and God's going to provide the circumstance for me to be happy. That's not what the text says. See, the text provides a future promise, a future circumstance for those who live the Beatitudes of Jesus now. See, the Beatitudes proclaim a future reward for a present way of life in following Jesus. You know, there are, are echoes of the whole already but not yet promises of the kingdom here that those who follow Jesus are in the kingdom now, but we will not realize the fulfillment of the kingdom until later when Jesus returns and sets the world to rights. So, What am I getting at here? Living poor in spirit, living mournfully, living meekly, living hungrily for for righteousness, living merciful, living pure, and living in peace. Those things aren't just, you know, a little key that we just use to suddenly make ourselves happy. In and of themselves, they're not some kind of magic bullet that if we do these, we're just going to be happy. They aren't actions that if you perform them, God is just going to give you a happy life without pain. And we have a clue to that in verses 10 and 11 later. We go from these things of, Jesus says, if you're poor in spirit, and if you're mournful, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you rest. Yours is the kingdom. And then suddenly in verses 10 and 11, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted and reviled or insulted. And you say, you know, I'm listening along to Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount. You say, okay, I could, I could maybe be, I could be poor in spirit. I could be merciful. I can do these things. I, could, I can be meek. You know, I can do all these things. That sounds really good. But it was, it was going really good, Jesus, until you got to this persecution and insult stuff. I thought I was going to be blessed. That doesn't sound very blessed to me. You know, I was getting ready to print up all these on a flowery wooden sign so I could sell it at Hobby Lobby, right? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Little flowers on the sides, and I can print that out, and I can sell a lot of that. You know, uh, I can't sell blessed are the persecuted at Hobby Lobby. That That just doesn't work. I can't sell blessed are the insulted and get a bumper sticker for that, and everybody rides around and says, I'm blessed and I'm persecuted. That just doesn't work, Jesus. It was going really good until you got to that part. And that's because living like Jesus now doesn't guarantee you a great, happy life now. In fact, it may, and the majority of the time, it will guarantee you the opposite. You know, we're living at a time that our culture says, I I must be happy now. You need to find your happiness now. I must have myself affirmed and loved right now by everyone. I must have all my rights now. I want power now. I want attention. I want to be heard now. And we live at a time when culture at large embraces these strong displays of power and posturing against each other. And we even see that in the church at times. The church has been adopting this way of power and acceptance for hundreds of years, and we've had to fight that. 
Ever since Constantine was emperor and we got our power and accepted in the next 1,300 years, uh, we turned around and we became the power we despised. You see, even today in the broader culture of Christianity is saying, what can we do to secure our acceptance in culture, to be respected, to be heard? And that is in direct contradiction with the teachings of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Instead of seeking power and affirmation and acceptance and inserting our rights, we're to live the very opposite of that. So today, I want to take you through a few implications of what it means to be meek. Blessed are the meek and a few implications of that in chapter 5 and verse 5 here. And if we take this seriously, we have to ask, what does this actually mean? How will we live this? What are the practical implications and how do we live that out? So I think we need to first of all ask... Before we can figure out what the implications are, well, first of all, I have to ask, well, what is meekness? Does meekness just mean, oh, I'm just going to be quiet, and I'm going to be nice, you know, I'm a little meek meek and mild? That's that's not exactly what it means. If you look up in uh, in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster says uh, that meekness is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. So I looked up injury as well, because that's, that's a broad term. In the context, it means harm or abuse or grievance or assault or an indignity. To endure those things with patience and without resentment. But what's the New Testament meaning? Well, this word here, meek, is only used four times in the New Testament. It's used here in Matthew 5 and verse 5. It's used in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 when Jesus says, I am gentle or I am meek. It's the same word and lowly in heart. It's used in Matthew 21 and verse 5, quoting Zechariah 9, 9. It says, behold, your king is coming to you humble. Same word, meek or gentle and mounted on a donkey. And then lastly, it's used in 1 Peter 3, 4, and Peter commands, Peter's commands for wives to let their adorning be the hidden person of the heart with a gentle, same word, meek, humble spirit, which by way is just simply the way of Jesus. So to be meek then carries with it the words of gentleness and humility. So to be meek is a characteristic of the nature of Jesus Christ. To endure wrong with a gentle and patient manner without resenting the one who wrongs you. So what are the practical implications of this? Well, I think the first application is that meekness suffers without fighting back. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 7, describing the suffering servant, which is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, we quote it often in church, he was oppressed and afflicted, but he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, when you see Jesus on his way to the cross and he's before the Sanhedrin and he's before Pilate and he's before Herod, you're seeing meekness in action. Jesus never fights back. He doesn't get revenge. You know, my father will get you for this. He doesn't say that. But instead, willfully, he humbles himself in the midst of pain and hurt and wrong and injury and death. I also think of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they're, they're dragged and beaten and imprisoned and they don't seek revenge for it. Meekly in the face of wrong, they suffer it without fighting back. You know, we're in a culture... That we are taught that if someone wrongs you, you need to get them back. You know, we uh, firm this idea of being nice to people. Everyone, we're, we're, you know, it's kind of like overall culture, right? We're all supposed to just be nice to each other. 
But on the back end, if anyone wrongs us or hurts us or says something don't like, what do we do? Well, we all get on our, our phones or our computers, whichever one you use, and we get on our social medias and Twitters and we tweet and we say we, we start fighting back. We, we cancel, we deride, we hate on people who dare to say something that we don't like. Or maybe uh, something about our political party or our candidate or our church or whatever it is that we don't like. If someone doesn't affirm us on our beliefs and our behaviors, we believe we're being attacked. And we have to fight back for this injustice. And I want to address something right here. Because this seems to be an issue not just in culture at large, but in individual churches among Christians. That, dear church, someone holding a different view from you on economics or healthcare systems or politics, that is not an attack on your beliefs as a Christian. You do a disservice to the blood of the martyrs when you equate disagreement with your politics with persecution for your allegiance to Jesus Christ. But even when we find our allegiance to Jesus being attacked or derided, we are not called to fight back and wage some kind of holy war. We're called to endure that attack, to endure that derision with meekness, with gentleness, and with humility. You know, if we opened up our social media pages... Can't, you can't open up mine because I canceled all of mine a few weeks ago. I'm happy about that. But if we opened up our social media pages and we put them on a PowerPoint here and we started looking through all the memes and the posts we shared, could we say that we've endured injury with patience and without resentment? Could we say that we're being gentle with those who mistreat us or wrong us? You know, Jesus went to the cross enduring flogging and public indignities an unimaginable pain, and he endured it without resentment for you and I that committed the sins that placed him there. You know, if there is anyone in this universe that deserves to be canceled, it is you and I for our prideful, stubborn ways that nailed our Savior to the cross. And he didn't. And instead, he became death for us, enduring the shame and hate because he loves you and I with an everlasting love. And he is eternally gentle and humble and meek with us. You know, we could say in our common vernacular today that he canceled our sin for us and took the punishment. You know, when you're at work or on social media or at a family gathering and, and someone wrongs you or injures you or insults you, you are called, you and I are called as followers of Jesus to endure that wrong with patience and to treat that person with gentleness. Now, if we're talking about uh, illegal sexual assault and physical harm to the family and beatings and things like that, that's a whole other thing. And yes, that is something that, that would need to be addressed, but that's not what we're talking about in context here. If someone just disagrees with you, if someone doesn't like that you're a Christian, if someone doesn't like your politics, the way of Jesus shows gentleness in the face of harshness. Meekness suffers without fighting back. But also in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 5, meekness doesn't seek power. In quoting Zechariah 9.9, and talking of the description of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. When Jesus enters Jerusalem as the anointed king, he enters with a sign of humility. When a conquering king 
captured a conquered king, it was a common practice for the victorious king to ride into the city on his war horse, on his steed, and then behind him would be coming the conquered king riding on a donkey as a sign of humility. It was meant to be demeaning and humbling that you know, the, the conquering king is asserting his power over the now powerless king. He's no better than the, the peasants and the servants. That He is nothing now, and the victorious king is the one who is mighty. And instead, Jesus himself identifies as the conquered, the lowly, the demeaned, and the powerless. He is saying as he enters Jerusalem that although he is the anointed king, he enters his kingship with humility without seeking power. See, Jesus answered in John 18, 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus isn't saying that his kingdom is somehow otherworldly, but rather that it does not work the way the world thinks it should work. His servants don't need to physically fight for his kingdom. He doesn't need to seek power the way the kings and the presidents of the world seek power. Instead, his kingdom is the way of peace and of gentleness and of humility. See, the meek Christian doesn't seek power because the kingdom is not advanced through the force of power. If we took the life of Christ seriously, if we took the beatitude seriously, this one concept would alleviate so much pain that is experienced not just in the broader world, but I'm talking more about the church. The recent rash of abuses in power we've seen in church leadership, which, which isn't new, we've always experienced these, it's just we placed some people recently higher than they should have been, and so their fall was longer than it needed to be. Because people sought power. You know, the abuses we have seen are the result of leaders not living the Beatitudes and not living the way of Jesus. And we've swallowed the lies of the world that to grow the church, we somehow need the church to be powerful. To be this, this entity that's respected and that, that wields strength. But Jesus says, no, no, it's not my way. My way is the way of meekness and of gentleness and of humility. The meek shall inherit the earth. Not the powerful, the meek. You know, the church has always struggled with the desire for power because it's a human desire. It's a sinful human desire, but we should be clear to distinguish power seekers from the meek, the Jesus seekers. So here are a few things. If you say, how do you distinguish a power seeker from a Jesus seeker? Well, here's just a couple things if you want to write them down. Power seekers are unteachable and unbending. The meek have a teachable spirit. Power seekers are reactionary. The meek are enduring. Power seekers are harsh. The meek are gentle. Power seekers are trigger happy. The meek are slow to wrath, slow to anger. Power seekers desire attention. The meek desire Jesus Christ. You see, the meek person knows who they are in Jesus and they know where their reward is. They know they will inherit the earth, that they must depend on God to fight for them, that they will suffer wrong. But the power seeker takes their reward by force. They fight for it themselves, trying to inherit the kingdom of self-worship. And it's because they elevate themselves so much that the fall is so big. John Bunyan says... He that is down 
need fear no fall. And the person who is living the Beatitudes, who is poor in spirit and mournful and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and who is meek, is the person who is down, who knows who they are in Jesus Christ and that he is everything and that we are nothing. The meek person, the gentle, the humbled person following the way of Jesus doesn't need power because all they need is found in Jesus Christ. But meekness doesn't just suffer wrong without fighting back, and it doesn't just not seek power. But thirdly and lastly, meekness deals gently with others. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, uh, there's a popular verse that we like to quote. And Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, that's also the word meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For Jesus... His requirements on his followers stood in stark contrast to the requirements of the Pharisees placed on their people. The Jewish people historically spoke of the law as being a yoke on them, being a burden. Now, yoke was used to keep two oxen together as they plowed or pulled a wagon or did whatever the farm later they were needed for. They were kind of the pickup trucks of the day, if you will. And Jesus says, here my yoke is not a burden of cumbersome laws and rules. I am gentle, I am meek, I am lowly, come to me and find rest. The word for gentle and meek is that same word in Matthew 5 that in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul also says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's the same root word there that's the word for meek, a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Meekness gently corrects. It doesn't harshly judge. Meekness restores with gentleness and humility. Now, there's two sides of the extreme that you can have here as you deal with people who are in need of correction or guidance. That As Christians, we should guard against becoming so lenient that we allow the damnation of a person's soul because we refuse to guide or correct. And we say, do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, you're fine, we'll just affirm you as you are, be all you can be, all this. That's the extreme on one side. The other extreme is we should also guard against being so harsh that we help a person along the road to damnation because we created a burden that they couldn't bear. I was raised in an extremely legalistic church and household, and uh, by God's grace, I was brought out of all of that. But I saw many of my friends who would go on to reject Jesus Christ because their church and their families had on top of the Bible created a burden, a harshness on them that they just couldn't bear. You know, it seems that in our Christian culture right now, we're creating, this is on both sides, so this isn't aimed at one side or the other. We have, we're both kind of guilty of this quasi-religious political fundamentalism that we, we have our, our fundamentalist type, and I'm not talking about the fundamental doctrines, it's, it's our own creations, that we have these, these rules that we lay down that if you don't believe my way, then you're not just in disagreement, you're, you're almost morally wrong, and I have to correct you. And we see this a lot on both sides, everybody yelling at each other. And we could take different political ideas for this, but that would probably start an argument, so I'm not going to take one. But here's the deal. If you believe that a person has strayed from Orthodox Christian belief in, say, uh, health care systems, I don't care. I'm using that as an example. 
If you believe if somebody has strayed from Orthodox Christian belief in their, their politics or their belief systems or whatever it is, you and I are not God's personal heresy interrogators who are tasked with making sure we get on Facebook and make sure everyone around us hears exactly in every jot and tittle to the set of Orthodox doctrine you and I believe. And you don't see Jesus doing that. In fact, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well... Jesus is at the well. The woman comes up. And if you read the passage, she tries to start an argument with Jesus. She says, your fathers believe you worship on the mountain Jerusalem. And we believe that we worship on the mountain here. She would, in view of this, this area would have been Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans believe that they were to worship. So she's essentially throwing out a, a very sticking point between Israel and Samaria. And, at that age, and she's like, hey, you, you believe this? We believe that. And she's trying to start an argument. What does Jesus do? Does he say, well, you guys are wrong? No, he says, there's coming a day when neither of those will matter. And he shares the gospel with her. Sure, meekness doesn't entail compromising our beliefs or just having peace at any price, but it does mean that we need to realize that if we disagree with others or others are not living as they ought, you and I as followers of Jesus are to treat them with gentleness and to show them the gospel and to point to our future hope. You know, 2020, and I could probably say this for most everyone, was not exactly the best year of my life. If you had your best year in 2020, raise your hand. I'd like to meet you. Because I think it was one of my worst years. We didn't really lose anyone to COVID if you did. I'm very sorry to hear that. I I had some friends whose health were severely affected, but no funerals. But our our life as church planners just kind of stunk. And, and I dealt with depression, and we had to close our church completely for a while. And uh, we had team members who departed right before it all happened, so we didn't have any extra help. And I'm an extrovert, so staying in my house just wasn't that great. Um, it was just really bad. But God used the pandemic uh, to grow me, to grow our family spiritually. And one of those ways was that I realized every time I was with someone, telling them about our church all i had was a list of woes what was me this happened what was me this happened what was me this happened and a lot of good guys were very encouraging to me that during that time but god pointed out to me you don't like it when people come to you and just have a list of complaints <laughs> you find that draining so you're probably draining other people and i determined that as i spent time with others i wanted them to go away refreshed and rested when jesus says take my yoke for i am gentle and lowly and i will give you rest he's talking about eternal rest but i think that we can also take something away from that that one of our goals as christians should be rest to be restful to those around us that when people come to us hurting and broken and traumatized and struggling and in sin that let us determine to be gentle with them in meekness so that in spite of all their hurt and pain, they will find a little bit of rest in our presence as we show them Jesus and we show them the gospel. In summation, we have meekness suffers without fighting back. Meekness doesn't seek power. Meekness deals gently with others. And if we live a life of meekness, what next? Do we get a trophy? No, you don't get a trophy, but you do inherit the earth. Or literally the land. Ours is the kingdom 
However, you think that it all plays out in the end when Jesus returns and we can have all kinds of theological discussions, whether you're pre, post, mid, trip, all that kind of stuff, right? Or a pan-millennialist, you just believe however it pans out is just this is how it's going to happen. Um, it doesn't matter. Whatever you believe, in the end, Jesus has won the victory already. We won, and we've already won. And we inherit the kingdom. So there's no need for us to fight back. There's no need for us to seek power. We've already won. Jesus won the victory. The meek shall inherit the earth. Richard Wormbrand, or Wormbrand, was a Romanian pastor in Romania during the rule of communism and experienced several arrests during his life beatings and tortures. He has a book called Tortured for Christ, if you're ever interested in reading it, where he recounts a lot of these things. But one of the things that he mentions in there, he says, I'm quoting him, when one Christian was sentenced to death, he was allowed to see his wife before being executed. His last words to his wife were, you must know that I die loving those who kill me. They don't know what they do. And my last request of you, my wife, is to love them. Don't have bitterness in your heart because they have killed your beloved one. We will meet in heaven. He goes on to say that these words impressed the officer of the secret police who attended the discussion between the two. He says, this officer later told me the story in prison where he had been sent for becoming a Christian. You know, Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 1 and verse 5 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. You know, people will say things, believe things, and do things that will hurt you, that will upset you, that will cause you injury and cause you pain. That's just part of life, and that's just part of being a Christian. That's verses 10 and 11 of the Beatitudes. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be insulted. It's just part of the package. It's just what it is. If you're expecting, if you can follow these, you'll just have this wonderful, happy life with no pain. You're in a fantasy world because that just doesn't exist until you die and you're in the presence of Jesus Christ. Yours and my job is to live Jesus to them. So let me challenge you with this before I close. The life of the Beatitudes, living like Jesus, these things are absolutely impossible outside a life that is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And we don't get the Holy Spirit unless we've given our allegiance to Jesus Christ. So many of us may find living this way so hard, and it is, but it's impossible if you haven't repented of your sins and followed Jesus. So here's the question that all comes down to. If you know you're a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, let me ask you, does your life reflect meekness? Does your life reflect Jesus? Do you fight back when you suffer wrong or an injustice? Every time you see something or hear something on the news that you don't like or that was done to to your candidate or whatever, and you get on your social media and share 10 memes about how horrible the other side is, or do you seek power perhaps in business or, or in church? There's a lot of us who aren't even leaders in church that seek power in the church. I've experienced that. Do you deal gently with others? 
can others come to you in their sin and in their brokenness and in their hurt? And like Jesus, they find a little bit of rest and refreshment as you deal gently and humbly with them and show them Jesus and show them the gospel. Or do, Jesus, or do people come into our presence and they're exhausted when they leave? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to talk to one of the elders here afterwards, find out more about what it means. If you think you're a Christian and you find these beatitudes daunting or impossible, examine yourself and see if you are in the faith. But let me tell you this, if you don't currently follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he will teach you everything you ever need to know. Let's stand. Father, I come before you and I thank you for this church and these wonderful people and their witness for you here in Albuquerque. And Lord, I pray that, you know, the word has gone out. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon us, leading us, directing us, but not just that, that as we've heard the word, Lord, that we would not go away from here the same as when we got here. But that through your power and your working in our hearts, that we would grow and we would be just a little bit closer to you than when we came. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 